I'm Josh Boaz. I'm Matt Zucker. There are a lot of podcasts featuring top executives. But what about the next wave of leadership? The makers and the doers. The ones we're all going to work for. We wanted to meet them. Find out their story, how they got to where they are, and what they see coming for everyone. This is a spotlight on those on the way up. This is Rising. Today on Rising, we welcome Jeffrey Bowman. Jeffrey is the co-founder and CEO of Reframe. At Reframe, he has pioneered a change operating system with software that helps people leaders build the most culturally inclusive employee and customer experiences at scale. Jeffrey is also a two-time award-winning, widely published author, very jealous of this. And before Reframe, Jeffrey was senior partner and managing director at Ogilvy Mather in New York, which is where I met him. It was at Ogilvy that Jeffrey created the industry's first cross-cultural practice. His work has been featured in the New York Times, The Economist, Fast Company, NBC's Today Show, and he speaks frequently at industry and trade events. And now he's here with us on Rising. Jeffrey, so glad you're here to talk to me and Josh. Uh, so glad you guys are having me, Matt and Josh. Yeah, welcome. Look forward to a great conversation. Yeah, you bet, too. Maybe a good place is to start, even before I, I knew you at Ogilvy. Maybe tell us about your first jobs and then how you how it led you to this. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question and won't be uh, too long. But um, prior to meeting you at Ogilvy, I'd spent about 17 years on the client side. And, um, and client side is like an insider um, vernacular where people are literally talking about the brands or companies that they work for before going uh, into professional services. And so I started my career off at actually at Pepsi. Oh. And a uh, little known fact, uh, I manage about 13 routes uh, and, and sometimes I have to deliver the drinks. So I still have my uh, certified driver's license, grandfathered in, or grandmothered in, or whatever you want to call it. Get out of here. Um, but it really is, that's where I got my start in terms of like really understanding every class of trade um, as it relates to B2B and B2C, because I've delivered drinks uh, to every specific class of trade that, that Pepsi exists. So when you think about training and you know talk about building a foundation, that's where you learn how to talk to everybody from the person checking you in all the way to uh, the regional and national retail lead for Walmart or, or some of the other uh, trade partners that Pepsi has. So great foundation. Uh, after that, I actually went back to business school. And uh, in, in both cases, in my undergrad, I went to historically black college and university. I went to Clark Atlanta University for my grad. And, 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 and while there, I always had this idea of um, wanting to go into brand management. And so um, it was between my first and second year that I got the opportunity to actually work uh, for Procter & Gamble. And we, you know, when you, you know, at least in my era coming up, when you talked about brand management, the, the mother of all brands is, is, is Procter & Gamble. Of course. And so, you know, that gave me an opportunity to kind of build on, on, the, on my foundation that Pepsi established. Um, but more, less from a tactical standpoint and much more from a strategic standpoint. Uh, and that was really my entry point into, into brand management. So after business school, I went to Miller & Company. Uh, and at Miller & Company, I chose to go uh, you know, from direct uh, store delivery, in which Procter & Gamble has a lot of their brands, to direct, I'm sorry, from, from direct through the warehouse to direct store delivery. Uh, the reason that's important is because I had a little inkling because a lot of my peers 
were much older than me really didn't know about this new thing emerging called the internet. And so, you know, you think circa 1998, uh, when a lot of people were heading out to Silicon Valley, I was, you know, still based in terms of uh, brand management, but a lot of people really didn't have websites. And so think about old marketing communications and emerging marketing communications. So that strategy with old and then emerging uh, positioned me in a very unique uh, way and, and gave me a lot of runway. And so it was that, you know, Millibrand Company getting my first taste of uh, television, radio, on a phone print as it relates to communication channels, doing the brand strategy, while also managing relationships with trade. My first brand that I managed was a brand called Foster's which was Australian for beer and just sure. happened to be, you know, a global brand. So they gave me an opportunity to travel around the world, uh, coming right out of business school, but also developing what is, is like an in thing called uh, short form copy and commercials. Uh, we were one of the few brands that did 15 second ads, whereas today everybody's doing six and 15 second ads, not the case back in the nineties. And so somewhat of a, a pioneering in terms of the internet, experience as well as short form commercials um, and then eventually heading into corporate strategy and brand management. So the the, the theme I'll say is uh, first part of first chapter of my career was in beverages. Second chapter, my entry point in terms of going into corporate strategy was still uh, a liquid, <laughs> uh, but out of liquid that people consume. I uh, went to Whirlpool, head of brand uh, for Whirlpool Dish. And so you think of about you know consumer packaged goods to consumer durables, uh, much different channels in terms of classes of trade. Expanded my experience in terms of uh, really understand how to drive uh, or, or manage uh, consumer behaviors, but also uh, from an innovation standpoint, help an organization understand the overall uh, portfolio. You think of Roper. You think of Whirlpool in terms of mid-tier, you think of KitchenAid. And so as, as I transitioned from managing brand to more corporate strategy, it really gave me a Brazov view in terms of you know, how to manage a P&L even more effectively across a portfolio of brands while helping uh, continue to be the steward for the brand from a portfolio standpoint. Hey, what was motivating these um, different switches, either between companies or different roles were you trying to be a more well-rounded person were you yeah. following opportunity when it fell in your face or did you have a plan like what was motivating these different switches you know uh, i'll say um for me it was always you know my entry point uh into pepsi um was you know not wanting to go back to my hometown uh i come from you know and, and, and I don't mean it in a negative way, but uh, I come from South Carolina. And in South Carolina, uh, when you think about offshoring, which a lot of people seem to forget, South Carolina was really the casualty of the first offshore called textile. Um, and so when you think about textile as an industry, South Carolina played a significant part in that. And so, you know, transition from the 80s to the 90s, a lot of uh, companies that were in a textile based in South Carolina, manufacturing hotbed. Uh, people talk about steel, but textile went to China. And so for me, I grew up in a household that, for the most part, everybody went into the biz 
and that it was manufacturing. And so the motivating factor for me in terms of wanting to get into uh, something beyond manufacturing uh, was an opportunity at Pepsi that I just so happened to get because somebody didn't show up for an interview. And so that was my entry point in terms of getting into quote unquote corporate America. And as I began to shift, I got more educated in terms of opportunities that exist within corporate America. Um, and what really, you know, made me really uh, deepen my thirst for wanting to learn more about marketing and communications was understanding the, the, the tactics, things on the ground, the last three feet, as some people like to call it. Uh, well, as I got more experience, uh, I wanted to understand, well, what drove those people into the store uh, to consume Pepsi versus Coke, new age beverages, think about water, teas, isotonics, and that was advertising. And so when I got my experience at P&G, I sat across an agency, uh, cool people walked in in all black. And at the time, you know, creatives had a big black, you know, board or a briefcase of storyboards. And so when I had an agency present to us as an intern, and at PNG, you know, they like to use a process where the youngest person or the most inexperienced person gives feedback to the agency. And so giving uh, or having uh, an opportunity to experience that from someone who didn't really have that as part of uh, their, their lens of exposure it's like, wow, these people actually get paid to create and build things to inspire consumers. I think that's kind of cool. And so that what that's what encouraged me to go into marketing communications from a strategic level. And so... And Jeffrey, yeah. at this time, you were also saying you, you were seeing the internet emerge as a kind of a, a new you know, technology and medium. Did you, you know, do anything proactively to kind of dive into that? Like, how did you stay to learn and adapt yourself and your... Your career for that? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I'd already been, been curious about technology. I had a Commodore VIC-20 uh, way back in the day, Commodore 64, um, you know, when the, the new, um, what, what's called, you know, the, the Mac. Um, you know, I always had a, you know, our summer internship class was the first class at PNG to recommend or provide insights as to why PNG should invest in the internet. And so when you think about these emerging technologies and emerging um, you know, channels, um, the idea of always being ahead from an innovation standpoint was something that I always, um, always did, not only at P&G, but also when I got the Miller Brewing Company, developed the first, uh, you know, quote unquote, product website with Fosters here in the States. Um, and then eventually, you know, as I even went over the Whirlpool, and a lot of the things that people didn't do, I was asking to be a part of from a project perspective. For instance, email marketing, display. Uh, these were things that most marketers didn't want to do because there wasn't really any performance metrics associated with those specific channels. So it's a perceived risk. And when you made that shift from kind of more like the tactical side to you know, corporate strategy, yeah, did it come with new skill sets that you had to learn? Like, was this did, you know, was your, did your MBA come in handy at this point? Yeah, I, I, I think um, the interesting part, and I'll, I'll say this to anyone, um, you know, we live in an era where you know a lot of folks um, want to 
take shortcuts career-wise. Um, and, and, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but if you think about uh, the foundation that I had, sales, so I learned about all classes of trade, more of the execution of the strategy. Then went into brand, manage a P&L, and the responses of your decisions on an annual basis uh, from a fiscal standpoint, not just creative marketing communications, but an overall brand. Then got to corporate strategy, I already knew the building blocks in terms of it's just some, you know, managing the P&Ls across multiple brands. And so when I got to Dell, you know, it was really more of, 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 of really understanding the drivers of businesses, which I'd already been a part of. So it came quite natural. I think, you know, when I made the transition to Dell, it's more of uh, the speed of marketing and communications that change because no longer were you being asked to invest in print, uh, radio, out of home. And you think about, you know, the response that you get from uh, effectiveness standpoint, uh, you're getting it now through email, through display, through search, and you're getting intraday, intraweek, uh, which eventually gets to months, which eventually gets to quarters, which gets to years. And so this is just something that I think presented a challenge for me professionally was how do I learn about the speed of marketing and then be able to respond to it uh, in a way uh, that kept you know, my brand at that time, Dell, ahead of others uh, in that space. How'd you switch among jobs? Did, um, did you know people? Did you get recruited? Did you get reconnected? A lot of people use their business school network. What was your... Yeah. No, you know, great question. I think um, the move from, you know, let's say uh, Pepsi into uh, more in terms of interbrand management you know, it was through uh, business school. The move from, you know, Millibrand Company to Whirlpool, it was through a career conference. A career conference? Yeah, it was called the National Black MBA Conference. The National Black MBA Conference in the late 90s, early 2000s, became like the number one conference uh, for professionals. Hmm. Not just black professionals, but all professionals. The reason for that is it's like pre-video conferencing, um, you know, it presented where the most companies would come to a city uh, for professional hires. And uh, because you could, you know, land in that specific city, you know, organizations or brands from Harvard, from Yale, from UVA, like all the top business schools would come to the National Black MBA Conference because that's where you had the most companies. And so for me, I was a part of that association. I went back and recruited at those conferences as I uh, was at Millibrand Company and, and, and Dell and some of the others. And so when I got to Dell, it's because of, of the National Black MBA Conference in Houston recruited uh, me at that conference. I was looking to make the transition to be more on the technology side and it just, it just worked. Yeah, career conferences. I feel like there was something special about them. I mean, we used to recruit a lot from uh, in the career career conferences, and you really could like see who stood out. You know, they made an impression. You, you cut a lot of layers of interviews uh, down. So it's uh, something that gets lost in Zoom interviews for for sure nowadays. Oh yeah, 
Definitely, definitely. And, you know, the good thing about um, that format was that um, even before you got to the conferences, and I used to do training at different business schools, um, you learn how to establish, you know, prospects, right, in terms of companies you're looking for. Once you understand who the prospects are, then there's an outbound email that goes to those companies that have identified that are recruiting or even just are going to show up and then nurturing that lead or that opportunity by follow up uh, with the people that, you know, you try and identify who's going to be the recruiter at that conference. And then once you get there, you try and convert that, uh, that recruiter by getting a 15 minute interview. And then as you get that 15 interview, then the, 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 you know, the beauty of follow up, right? And the beauty of follow-up, it's, it's an app, another app on email. And so when you look at the way that you know, things transpire today, I think that's it's a really a lost art farm uh, for you know, people looking for, for opportunities. Yeah. And if you had to give advice to like, yourself now, how would you go and stand out in the crowd? Like if career conferences aren't a thing anymore, what would you advise your, your, you know, your MBA self to do? Yeah, I mean... A lot's changed, obviously. You know, now everybody is a brand, right? <laughs> um, I think more importantly than anything, you know, if, 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 if I'm, you know, in the market at, at that stage of my career, I think the thing that really stands out is, is, is having a, um, a point of view in terms of why they should choose you. Um, and I think once you have that established, um, or why you, uh, once you have that established, it just makes it easier in terms of how you communicate or convey uh, why you're the better or best candidate for that opportunity. Oftentimes when I do coffees or, or, or talk to folks, there are a couple of things that they don't show up with. Um, you know, as, as crazy as it may sound, you know, I always ask the question, a uh, little side note before business school, I was a recruiter. Yeah. Uh, for about 90 days. 90 days. Um, 90 days, literally 90 days. I spoke to about 23 engineering candidates a day. And the one question I would ask people in their 30s, their 40s, and 50s is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because oftentimes people choose careers because life happens. Uh, or a career chooses them versus them choosing a career that they want. And so, you know, most people don't know how to answer that question at 30 or 40 or 50 or 60. Um, and then the second thing people uh, that I experience when I do talk to them is, okay, help me help you. Meaning what companies are you interested in? Of the companies that are you interested in, what opportunities that you may see that you're interested in? And then provide a blurb in terms of so that I can help introduce you. And so these are like, very fundamental things that requires a little effort on the upfront that pays off a lot on the back end. Right, right. So take us to reframe, and I know we're a few steps before launching, launching it, but maybe talk a little bit about your experience and inclusiveness and the path to the big idea. Yeah, I mean, so reframe is a culmination of my entire career. Um, as I matriculated through my career, you know, even from leaving Dell and then going to Sears and getting more into the transformation work. Uh, and transformation at Sears is going from traditional to digital. 
Um, and, and, and for me, as I manage brands, as I manage agencies, as I manage people, uh, there was always uh, a stated or understated inequity associated with, quote unquote, general market and multicultural or talent or diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so when you think about, you know, you know, the, the differences, one is for the workplace, meaning talent and diversity, equity, and inclusion. One's for the marketplace, meaning general market and multicultural. And so when you think about, you know, a company, whether or not they want to attract, elevate, and retain employees, they're either they're going to use talent management or diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you think brands that want to attract, elevate, meaning get customers to buy more and retain them, they're either going to use general market practices or multicultural marketing practices. And so growing up professionally and, and working in big brands and working to attract customers uh, from within, there was always a significant uh, disparity. So for me, I said, if I ever got the opportunity to change those workplace practices and change those marketplace practices, I would. And so I got that opportunity at Ogilvy. I made the transition in 2008 to Ogilvy, and I got the question of a lifetime. If David Ogilvy were here, what would the agency look like? Oh, wow, great. And light bulb went off, right? Now, I didn't get a chance to start you know, making uh, the impact from a workplace standpoint, but the foundation had already been laid at Ogilvy, meaning they had a chief diversity officer. You had support from the top, uh, John Seifert, uh, at that time was the president. And then you already had a runway. I was attracted to Ogilvy through a workplace challenge, meaning could someone from outside the organization and industry come into Ogilvy on the CMO track and elevate to become senior partner, managing director. So it happened, but it was through this practice called Ogilvy culture that was able to provide impact into the business. And so when you think about the marketplace, um, the challenge there, if you were to frame it up from a case study standpoint, how do you move beyond race and identity? Didn't say exclude the race and identity. Beyond so that you drive scale and impact. And so that meant that you had to develop a practice that went beyond what we call monocultural insights, beyond multicultural insights, to cross-cultural and polycultural insights. And so at Ogilvy, formed Ogilvy Culture, launched a practice. Within a matter of three years, we were in the multi-million dollar revenue business, mainly because we disrupted the marketing communications industry and went beyond general market and multicultural to cross and polycultural. And after that, I said, hey, um, I think there's a significant opportunity from an industry perspective. Wrote a book called Reframe the Marketplace to memorialize a lot of great work that we're able to do. And I launched Reframe. And Reframe, you know, when you think about, you know, the, the positioning, or the first tech-enabled change management platform that helps build inclusive experiences at scale. Now, in short order, what we've done was that we've modernized the practice of DNI and multicultural marketing. 
is no longer separate, but is inclusive for growth as, as well as change. Growth from the marketplace, change from the workplace to reflect the future of work and the future of the marketplace. Does that make sense? How does it work? Well, you know, so the short answer is that we're in the business of change management. And so with any change practice, you usually want to find out what level of maturity an organization is. And so for us, um, we have an instrument, proprietary, uh, patent pending, that helps organizations understand what cultural gaps they have. And it's across their strategy, their structure, their systems, solutions, segments, and systems. And typically within an organization, uh, from a change perspective, these are the biggest barriers. And so we have an organizational assessment tool for both the workplace and marketplace, identifies the gaps, and then we have services that help close those gaps. One's for the marketplace called inclusive customer experience design, and one's for the workplace called inclusive employee experience design. In combination, meaning after we identify the gaps, we have the services to help close those gaps, then we have software. Think of the software being uh, customer relationship management and employee relationship management. The difference is that unlike Salesforce, unlike any other CRM or ERM platform, we have technology that goes throughout every touch, either from a customer or employee side, that helps continuously improve the level of culture maturity for both the workplace and marketplace. And how do you feel like the market is responding? I know there's been a lot of, you know, there was a lot of excitement about DNAI maybe a few years ago and you know, it kind of has ebbed and flowed. I mean, even for our, our practice, we, you know, we, we, we got, we had a lot of inbound inquiries for a while, then it kind of slowed down. I mean, how, did, how's the reframe uh, and experiencing things in the marketplace? Yeah. I mean, and, and this gets back to the legacy of, uh, you know, whether it is perceived consciously or unconsciously, we're not in a DNI business. We're in the change business from a practice perspective. And so, you know, because of that, when you think of the practice of DNI and multicultural marketing, specifically from a practice perspective, uh, those are dated practices because one could argue they're census based. So we've moved from census to behavior base to neuro base. So the idea of grounding our, our business in DNI multicultural marketing, very dated. So we haven't been impacted by that because we didn't build our business on that value proposition of DNI. We're in the change management business. Cool. So do you think you're doing what you wanted to do when you grow up or is there some, some next phase after reframe? Uh, I definitely have had the career that I always wanted. Um, but I think for this next phase of my life, you know, one of the things, career-wise anyway, one of the things that I knew that that was a different way, meaning if you're a, you know, a person of color, whether you're learning marketing or helping to sell services, uh, you're, for the most part, uh, you were using a blueprint that was developed in the 1960s, post-civil rights, Right. And so when you look at those practices, for someone like me who really didn't have exposure to marketing communications and brand management until I got to PNG, um, 
those are great practices, but how do you push the thinking? How do you push the practice to the next generation of Jeffrey Bowman's that come behind me? And I don't want my kids, should they choose my profession, to only be based on race, ethnic, uh, or identity-based outcomes. Again, we're moving from census-based outcomes to behaviors and attitudes to neuro. And so for me, uh, my mission was to write the next playbook. So for people that purchase our services, for people that sell our services, don't get put in that bucket, which limits their ability to make impact uh, to our industry as well as globally as well. So turn this into career advice. So if that's what you've been doing, what's your advice for others? Is it about looking ahead to beats? Is it about like, what would you, what would the career advice for others be? I mean, for, you know, people that are, that are just starting, um, you know, I even have two daughters and, um, what, I think it's very different for them versus when uh, when I was just starting was, you know, think of the macro and then identify your role in the micro. And what do I mean by that? The macro is going to be artificial intelligence, right? That's going to give you a runaway of probably, you know, eight to 10 years, maybe 15 tops. Given that, you know, when we were growing up, you had uh, traditional Marcom and digital, where now it's just Marcom. And so if you're thinking about your career, anything that you choose will in some way have a, a technology component attached to it. And so you should learn what the next next is and then predict or learn about that piece of technology and then embed that in terms of what drives you. I don't want to use the word passion, but what drives you in terms of solving a problem. I think uh, I learned something from someone I was interviewing the other day. And uh, she said very different thinking in terms of how we were being told to think about our careers. Uh, She was choosing her career path based on her value system. And I love that, right? Because her values were going to be the lead in terms of how she designed her career. And so I think that's the biggest piece now in terms of people starting their careers is like design the career that meets your values and what interests you, but all under the context of the macro and not the micro and your role in that that in terms of helping to solve a problem. That's good advice. So now it's time for thank you notes, where we ask this week's guests to tell us about someone from their past that they would like to thank that maybe opened a door, gave them a piece of indelible advice, or I don't know, just sticks with them to this day. Jeffrey, who are you going to thank? I'm, I'm going to thank uh, Robert Hemby. Um, and Robert Hemby uh, was uh, my career counselor that um, when I was at South Carolina State University, um, for the most part, he knew um, me being an athlete at that particular time, uh, 
me being intentional, meaning I didn't want to go back to Spartanburg, South Carolina for the next summer uh, after you know my freshman year, he really got to know me again, built a relationship. He um, helped me understand, he didn't tell me, but helped me understand as to you know how to conduct interviews, what to wear, how you show up. Uh, so my first semester as a freshman, I went to the Career Development Center every week. Um, there was no Handshake, which is the app that most people use today when they're looking for opportunities. And so he said, Bowman, if I, if I hear something, if somebody doesn't show up, uh, I'll, I'll make sure I'll call you. And so my second semester, Pepsi was looking for juniors. I'm freshmen, juniors and seniors to go into a minority um, development program, management trainee development program. And so he called me at seven o'clock in the morning and he said, hey, this person doesn't look like they're going to show up. Uh, would you be willing to take the 730 interview slot? 30 minutes, showered in college, made it down there. Interviewed, blew the guys off. The guy named is Tom Christopol. And Tom said, look, we're going to go to these other universities and, and interview, but very impressive. If anything opens up, we'll call you. So I got a call like June 15th after interns had started at the beginning of June. It says, hey, we got a slot for you in Knoxville, Tennessee. Can you make it up here tomorrow? <laughs> So I made it up to Knoxville, Tennessee, interviewed, and then another guy said, hey, can you start on Monday? So I went up there on a Friday, big, thick yellow pages back in the day, found an apartment, and the rest is history. And that's how I started my career. Uh, thanks, Robert. Yeah, thank you, Robert. Great story. All right, now it's time for top picks, and this is where we, uh, we recommend to our, our listeners a, a book, an app, a life hack, anything that we think our, our listeners would be find uh, useful and interesting. Jeffrey, you can go first. Yes. The book that I'm recommending that everyone should read is called How to Master the Art of Selling by Tom Hopkins. And it's an old book that you know, takes you to the history of, of professional selling. And it's less about you know, selling a tangible thing and it's more about selling you. Uh, and, and I think, uh, with anyone, whether it be career, whether it be, you know, strategist, CMO, CEO, uh, everyone should know how to sell. And, and, and that's something that I, uh, even infuse upon, you know, everyone within my organization and it's required reading because at the end of the day, if the revenue's not coming in, we don't eat and we don't live. <laughs> Very true. Uh, Matt, you got a pick for us? I have a book also. Um, Will Schwab came out with this earlier this year, and I just listened to the audiobook called We Should Not Be Friends. And it's the story of two, two friends who were fairly opposite and fairly unalike that met at, in college, but they were met intentionally. They, they were put together in some society of people who were not alike. So it was very much on purpose. And they stayed friends throughout their entire life. And they both kind of kept journals about what it was like to be friends. So it's a beautiful story of friendship, but I think it's also a really important lesson about finding and 
being with people who are very different from you, but they will be with you and they will give you different kinds of advice and, and be very helpful. And I just, I found it really, really powerful. And he's just a killer writer and, and it's hilarious if you want to do the audiobook or the, or read it, read it in hardcover. Great. Um, I'll, I'll stick on the same vein of recommendations. I have a book, um, different though. Um, it's called the lemon by, uh, uh South Korean writer, Kwon Ya Kwon Ya Sun. And uh, if you like, like the Ciro podcast, like it's more of like a true crime, but it's basically this, this kind of murder and from three different, uh, kind of three different views. Uh, it's, so it's a, it's more of a kind of people book. It's a short, short read, but I found it really thought provoking after the reading it. So I had to take a break over the summer from my usual business book. So it's a little bit of a, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have to give your brain, brain, a brain a rest sometimes. Thanks, Jeffrey, for coming on Rising. It's so good to talk to you. I'm sorry this took like 20 or 30 years to get back in touch. No, it's been a while. <laughs> if people want to learn more about Reframe or about you, where do you want them to find you? For Reframe is get, G-E-T, reframe.com. And then for me personally, it's uh, Jeffrey, www.jeffreyrlbowman.com. Uh, real, real easy. Terrific. Great. Thank you, Jeffrey.